podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to the Masterclass, the Manchester United Tactical Podcast. My name is Hader Abani. I'm your host as ever today. Fantastic comeback. Wow. I mean, I wasn't really expecting that at halftime. I thought this show was going to be a little bit more glum, probably a little bit more uh, depressing, Rob. But uh, it was fantastic. Firstly, how are you? How are you feeling after the victory? And yeah, are you feeling... It must be nice to have that last minute win again, which we haven't had for a long time. And it felt a bit like Man United of old, sort of pulling it out from the jaws of uh, defeat, I would say. Yeah, hi, Hayden. I hope, um, yeah, I hope that it's one of these things where we look at these games, we try and stay balanced and we we kind of look at the pros and the cons. And I think there still were plenty of cons today. However, I think in that second half, Manchester United needed to show some resilience and to dig in. And at 2-0 down, you have to show you can face adversity. And they did that. And that's a, another big tick for Ole to dig his team out with himself there out of that big hole that they created in the first half. Yeah, I would agree. There's a lot of things we're going to pick through today tactically, which perhaps uh, some fans might might not agree with. But I think it's important that we do that because while the result was fantastic, I think there were things that didn't necessarily go United's way today. So it'd be really good to break that down. I'm just going to read out a few of the comments. Hello, Zaki. Nice to see you. Midnight in Mauritius. Thank you very much for listening. That is real commitment. So I know you're a massive fan of the podcast. So thank you again. Ben, it's nice to see you again. Yeah, absolutely delighted with the three points. It's absolutely fantastic. Lakesh, yeah, nice to see you here again. It's one of them, Heli, saying over here, Van Persie's hat-trick against Southampton. That's how it felt for me. I definitely got those sort of vibes. So it's really great. And I know Jamie's here as well. I'm going to bring up your comment. Big three points, absolutely. And Rob, it's funny because we're sitting here and we're maybe, what, five points off the top with a game in hand. When you look at it that way, I know it sounds really silly because I've been very, at times, very uh, unhappy with what we've been seeing. But looking at it that way, we're actually in a good position going into this game in hand and obviously going into the next few weeks of the season after having a pretty difficult start. You know, when you put it into that context, maybe things statistically aren't that bad. Obviously, you've got to use the eye test when you're watching United and analysing things. Well, what have I said on every episode of the Masterclass? every episode about the league table. It's not worth looking at until you get 10 games in. It's just really not worth it. Now we're looking at it. Manchester United are five or six points off the top spot. There are teams in worse places than Manchester United. And seventh might not sound great. But again, you know, this time of the season, it's just not worth getting too high or low about these things. It really, really isn't. You've got to get the season started. You've got to find a way, especially when you've had no pre-season. And you've got to expect that some results might not go your way. What we are seeing now with United is that they're kind of getting it together. They're getting the balance. They're getting the shape. And like again, I said, it was not perfect today. Certainly not in that first half. Uh, new system, new formation going back to the diamond. Uh, Van der Beek starting. Teller starting on the left some changes and chopping along from Ole. But United are in a good place. And I've believed that for weeks and it doesn't really change now. I think that 
They've got a, a good run of games coming up now, Manchester City in the middle of it as well. And they've got to go and keep winning games. And if you can do that, they'll be in a conversation for the top four. And then hopefully, post-Christmas, they might even be in with a chance of the title. I don't want to say it out loud. Don't say it, Rob. Don't say it. <laughs> don't do what I did after we I don't did PSG. Be- I don't believe that they are there in that, in that place. No, but... They're certainly in the conversation to be in the upper echelon. So it's a good place to be. And I think with Ole, again, he knows, you know, if he'd lost his game today at halftime, I'm sort of hearing plenty of people tweeting that they wanted him sacked, that he's got no tactics, that they're not going to win, that he's got done by two set pieces, they're going to lose at Southampton. And they won the game 3-2. Yeah, absolutely. Keane says here, I love having the likes of Bruno Cavani at the club, two leaders. Absolutely. I would agree with that. He's saying again, elite mentality. Guys, make sure you hit the like button, hit the subscribe button as well. As you can see, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you again for all your support. It's fantastic. We love doing these live shows. Let's jump into it, Rob. You mentioned the selection. So you, we went with a 4-4-2 diamond today. So what we saw is we saw Matic as the six, which I was actually happy to see because as we saw against Istanbul, the double pivot of Donny and with Fred was one which was all over the place defensively. We went through that. And then we saw Van der Beek and we saw Fred as the two eights, which I think is something a lot of people would have seen, wanted to see. And Bruno as a 10, as per usual. So for me, I like the look of the lineup. No Martial. I thought when you're looking at the way Southampton Bay with a 4-2-4 press, I felt like with the diamond, you could probably outnumber them in midfield. Is that what we saw? I mean, what were the benefits for with, for, with going with a diamond? Do you think it worked? Because I think on paper it looked like it worked, but Apart from that first 20 minutes in the first half, I thought we struggled to get hold of the ball a little bit. I think Manchester United's main issue with any formation is that we don't have ball-playing footballers in the, in the squad. So that's a problem to start off with. You do have players who are technically good and can do things. But I think with this diamond, you know, you've got to look at it in two aspects, both on the front foot and the back foot. So I think on the front foot, the diamond looks fine. And every time United have played the diamond this, this season, they've looked good. You know, they can get through the, the, the lines, they can get into the through the channels, they can help the forwards, uh, they can provide, they can create, they can do all of those things. The issue is what's going on behind you. How are you protecting the defence? There's no doubt that in midfield, especially in the modern day Premier League, you have to do both. You have to be able to be progressive and you also have to protect your back four. That really wasn't there. Now, obviously, Southampton scored their two goals from set pieces. And I had people tweeting me saying, well, it was just set pieces. So obviously the diamond worked. You've got to look. When Fred gives away that free kick for the second goal, it's because he's playing in a diamond and he's the wrong side of the forward. So therefore, he's chasing back. Therefore, he catches the player. It's a silly tackle. They get a free kick. They score a goal. So that's because of the diamond. Now, some people say that's just a decision from Fred and a bad one. But he's been used to be playing in a double pivot with things in front of him and obviously using his energies to stay goal side. So he was a wrong side of that. That's the downside of playing with a diamond. The other upside, of course, is that you can play Van der Beek and Bruno in the same team. That's something that we've not seen yet. Now, I said when we signed Van der Beek, a lot of people were saying to me, you know, will you be able to play these two players who are very similar, have very similar skill sets in the same side? You know, is it a wasted transfer bringing in a player like this uh, and I do believe that they can play together and I think today we did see snippets of it you know we saw there were bits that looked good and went well uh, I also said that I did think that they would swap roles during the game that's exactly what happened you saw Bruno go out to the left to play of the diamond uh, Fred was on the opposite side it allowed Van der Beek to go forward and then they quickly swapped it back five or ten minutes later um, 
it was good for Ole to be able to see these things because he has to see it in real time. You know, they can see it on the training pitch and, you know, feel happy about these things. But as we said before, the reason why he stopped using the diamond was because of the Tottenham result. So the Tottenham result came along. This diamond had played two or three games. They thought they'd found this new revolution. You know, here we are, Manchester United are back, you know, playing ball-popping football and this diamond's going to take United forward and they concede six. So that stopped that for there, you know, in terms of taking it on week after week. And we went back to the 4-2-3-1. Uh, I think it's good that United won the game today. I don't believe it was because of the diamond. I think it was maybe in in spite of the diamond. Um, it was good that Ole recognised that he needed Cavani on the pitch. And I think that's obviously something we're going to talk about today as well. Um, but overall, it was a, an average performance, I would say, with a great ending. You know, United managed to work their way back into the game. They didn't deserve to be down 2-0 at halftime. Certainly not, you know, two set pieces. But if you make the mistakes, you deserve to concede goals. And, you know, the first goal, I think, there from the front post where three United players, I think it was Tellez, Rashford and Bruno, you know, they've all got to do better. They've all got to attack the ball. They've all got to stay goal side. They've all got to do their jobs. And they didn't. They just kind of stayed stationary, jumped, got out jumped. And obviously the Southampton player directed the ball past David De Gea. Um, you look at it like that, you know, it was an okay display today, but a great result. See, this is probably where I differ from you because I think I, I we both agree that we were very unlucky to go down 2-0 at halftime, but I thought United started better today than they have in a very long time. I thought, especially early on, 20 minutes. remember yeah, the first definitely. chance we had. Yeah, yeah, first 20 minutes, Mason had that chance. He should have scored that, by the way. But it was lovely. Tellez into Van der Beek, back to Tellez. Tellez playing that through ball. Mason taking around the keeper. You would have bet your house on him finishing it. And I thought, look, I agree with you, in the early build-up, what I noticed is that Bruno and Fred were also swapping positions. So, like, Fred was pressing more and Bruno was coming a bit further back. And I quite liked the way that Oli had done that. So I thought, okay, look, they've we've thought about it, the way it's going to work. Biggest problem, though, Rob, when you're playing this is that, and I tweeted it at the beginning of the game, how are Rashford and Green were going to hold the ball up? That was the biggest thing for me. And I think why United was struggling after that 20 minutes is because the hold-up play was almost non-existent. Now, that's something Martial, I think, is very underrated at. It's something that Cavani showed when he came on. I think the diamond can work. But again, what we saw is that Fred was coming in field a lot. So it's the same problem we had against Arsenal where McTominay was on that right side of the diamond and he was sitting almost holding Fred's hand, you know, uh, as a double pivot, we saw the same thing today. So for me, that sort of suggests that it's not really the system that was a problem. It was actually the way that the players were playing it. Do you agree with that? Partly. I, I, I think for me, the reason why I'm not so hot on the diamond as maybe some people are after this result is because it was completely lopsided for most of the game. So for the first 20 minutes, United were dominant. They got the ball on the deck. They were playing some good stuff, created some opportunities. It's great creating opportunities, but if you don't score, then it's not worth it doesn't happen. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. You can look back, but as far as the result goes, it doesn't really impact your your scoreline positively. You know, United had the chances, they didn't take them, and then they conceded two goals. They were down 2-0 at half-time. I think when you look at the shape of the team, I'm not saying the shape was the reason. Certainly, it's about the role players within that team and within the shape itself. But when you look at the diamond, for the, virtually the whole game, it was lopsided. So it was either one heavy, one side. And then when the ball was going the opposite side, they weren't they weren't coming across enough. It was just a real lack of shape. And that comes from a lack of training with it. 
because the diamond is not Manchester United's first default system. So as I've said again on our podcast here, you know, it takes weeks to kind of get systems into your bloodstream and to it to become second nature. And the diamond is still very much an additional formation to what United are used to. You know, United have not had a pre-season where they practice the diamond for six weeks. That's not a thing. So this is all kind of off the cuff a little bit and trying to find roles for players. Now, certainly the diamond is a better formation for, say, Bruno and for Donny, but maybe not a great formation for, say, Fred and Matic. But Fred and Matic are going to have to do more defensive work. That's that's key in that system. But it's difficult to make sure that everyone is doing the right things all the time. And if your opponent works out in the middle of the game or the coach on the sideline, like someone like Hassan Hutu, I think is a really talented coach, they can exploit you. So we saw this in the Champions League against Istanbul. They were they they completely exploited the double pivot. You know, you could see where United were weak in terms of in that game for Van der Beek and for Fred, and they exposed it. And and United could have had a much worse result than obviously what happened at full time. Today, it was another similar situation where it wasn't quite working, but had Southampton and someone like Danny Ings in the team today, where they could have had, she had a focal point through the middle, I'm not so sure that United would have played a diamond. I think they would have played four two. I think they would have played with a double pivot. They would have played four two three one and gone forward like that. Today was a chance for Ole to experiment. It worked great the first twenty minutes. Next twenty five minutes, it didn't really work. Then I think for the first fifteen minutes, it didn't really work. Then for the last half an hour, United tended to dictate the flow of traffic, and that obviously helped the result at the end of the day. But it was the substitution at halftime of Cavani that changed the match. That was the key moment. Yeah, absolutely. Rob, I'm going to read out some of the comments, some great ones here. Greg has said, Diamond will only work if the midfielders stay rigid. Reese is of the view that he prefers a 4-3-3, which I think I do as well. But again, I'm not sure we've got the defensive midfielder to play that yet. Um, or the fullbacks, and we will talk about the fullbacks a little bit later. Um, Oli will go with 4-2-3 on predominantly. To be honest with you, I wouldn't have had any issues, Rob, if we'd gone for 4-2-3-1 today because it's a, it is a formation, although maybe fans don't like it. it's formation that's worked it's tried and tested i always found with the diamond i mean as um average said here i think the diamond's the only way you can get donny in i would argue that's probably right would you agree with that because when you're looking at sort of a four two three one i have an issue playing donny in a double pivot i think we've discussed this already but then also the other sort of catch 22 is that you have then a match with a fred you lack in that creativity so it does seem that if United do want to fit Van der Beek and Bruno into the same team, and I think United look a better team going forward. You did say earlier that obviously we progress the ball better, which we do. But defensively, I do think the only way that you can probably get both of them them in is to have Matic, Fred or a McTominay in there protecting. And that does hinder United going forward, doesn't it? Because you do then technically have one less you know, front forward on the pitch. Balance, balance, balance. You know, it's got to come down to that. You've got to find roles for players to be able to do their optimum game. And as I said before, this match today, playing the diamond gives Bruno and gives Donny the chance to play their more preferred roles on the front foot. So you can have better balance. Now, that's not what we saw. The balance wasn't there today. You know, let's be completely honest about it. The result was great and United dug themselves out of a hole and Cavani scores two really good strikers goals today and United win 3-2 and everyone's happy. But in the cold light of day and looking at back at the formation and the tactics, was it 100% successful? No, 
But I think what we can say is that there is promise there. So if they go away to the training grounds, they've taken this result and they work with it, it is something that may be going forward that a diamond might be the solution. What I will say is this. Not many teams do play with diamonds. Now, you've got two ways of looking at it. You've got the kind of traditional European diamond, which is very narrow and very very kind of flat, and they kind of keep compact, and you play tiki-taka through it. Or you play a more expansive diamond like United do, where it's stretched, where the sides have to go and meet uh, wing backs if they come forward and cover a little bit more. And you, you're doing a little bit more defensive work in that diamond. Now, that's tactically quite a difficult concept to take on board for any player because it's not something you're used to doing. So these are kind of new roles in a, in a newish formation for the Premier League. You don't see many teams play diamonds. I wouldn't say it's the only way to get Donny in the team. Like he can play as a six or an eight or a 10, but I think it's a sliding scale. So I think at six, he's not that great. I think eight, he's a bit better. And at 10, that's his optimum. So the idea yeah, is to try and get him into parts of the pitch from eight to 10 where he can make chances and opportunities. Today, you know, how many chances did Donny get in the box today, you know, to score a goal? I can't remember. He didn't, he didn't have one shot. I did check a little bit. Didn't earlier, have one shot. Speak. Yeah. He, I remember when in the second half we had the ball and he could have had a shot. Do you remember? And I think he, and he pulled he out. Passed it. Yeah, he pulled out. And, See, and that's, that, a guy, that's a guy who hasn't yeah. started games. So that's all it is. You know, and it's the same yeah. with Mason today. Mason misses that chance. He's not played any games recently. And if Mason Greenwood has got 10 games in his pocket, yeah, he scores that today. Goes around the goalkeeper, chips the player who's sliding across him, doesn't have to think, and it's a goal. So you, you can always look at mitigating circumstances for individual moments. And I think there with Donny, you know, in the weeks ahead, if he gets games and he starts matches, he takes one touch, he gets it out of his feet, and he slots it in that bottom corner. Instead, he tried to go square to Rashford so I'm not too worried about those things I know again fans get hot when players miss chances or make bad decisions doesn't worry me too much because I think when you take it away to the training pitch and you work on it and you work on it and you work on it you make better decisions as time goes on yeah I think that's very fair let's dive into the individual players in that midfield because I think it's important to have a look at them and I do think that Matic, for me, I've said it all the time, but he's very key. I think United looked more stable today because he was playing. And just going through some of his statistics, Rob, so he had 87 touches, 60 passes completed. That's an 86% completion rate. 33 uh, forward passes, 15 recoveries, eight duels won, five interceptions, four tackles won, three long passes completed, two take-ons completed. I thought that was quite a complete performance. I saw a lot of people on Twitter unhappy with the way that Matic played. But for me, United looked more solid with Matic there. They look much more assured. You know that with Matic there, with his vision, with the, his positional discipline, you can push Van der Beek a bit further forward. Bruno can go a bit forward. Even Tellez can go a bit further forward on that left flank. But talking about that pass completion, because I think it's important to compare it, because I don't think we were particularly good at ball retention today. And before I looked at the statistics, I thought Donny was very good at that. But he came out with an 82% pass completion rate, which which isn't good, in my opinion. It's okay, mm. yeah. Bruno is 60%. We know this has been made a big thing by a lot of fans. I think sometimes a 60% skews the view because he is the one who's more creative. But again, 60% isn't good, but he has six shots, which suggests to me he obviously had an impact a game, a goal and assist. Fred with 95%. Now, that surprised me because I didn't think Fred played particularly well today. Um, but both Van Der Beek and Fred had four tackles each to show they got stuck in and did the defensive side of the game. And obviously, Matic, as I said earlier, is 86%. So having a look at these statistics and drilling into them a little bit more uh, deeply, what do you make of it? And does it reflect on how you saw the game? 
Yeah, I think it does. You know, I, I think we, I think we said Fred had ninety five percent pass completion rate, and you know, if you're playing short passes, you can get ninety five percent. It's not difficult. The, the the bits of Chris scrutinise is the other five percent. So what was going on there? You, you never see a player with a hundred percent. Of course, that's that's generally impossible. It, it's certainly in a, com, a combative Premier League match. But I think today, Fred, I don't think he was very good today in terms of his position. And it's difficult for him to play on the side of a diamond when he's been used to be playing in a double pivot. You know, it's a it's a it's a profound change for a midfielder positionally to play closer to the back four and then having different spacing between him and his usual teammates to then having to do something that's expansive and progressive and very, very different. It takes weeks and months to really drill those things in to be really good at it. So I, again, I'm not too down on Fred for it. I don't think he was great today. I think Matic works really well at the base of a diamond. It's something that he can do with his eyes closed. He's very much uh, adept at that in terms of screening and covering. And And I think he had a good game today. You know, I think when he got the ball down, he did the right things with the ball. You want him to be simple with it. You don't want him to kind of try any kind of 40-yard passes or or maybe try a pass that maybe Paul Pogba would in a similar position on the pitch. Um, but overall, I think the midfield did okay, but it is about chemistry. And with those four players, that's the first time they've really played together or started against the Southampton team that's traditionally viewed as the hardest working team in the Premier League. So you know when you go to Southampton, you're going to have to make tackles, you're going to have to chase because they're going to do that to you. And I think United did that overall. And I think that was a period where things went a bit lopsided, where United were trying to find their identity in the game in terms of you know exerting their own agenda on the football match. And we saw that in the second half. So I think in the last 30 minutes or so, especially when United got it back to 2-1, there was much more better intent. United were operating in areas that could hurt Southampton more and the game just had better flow for it for Ole. And and it did look like, you know, with 10 minutes to go and going into those final minutes before the, the third goal, that United might get a winner. It felt like that it was coming uh, and it'll, it'll be good for them to now take that result away and feel that they took a 2-0 defeat and completely flipped that result to a 3-2 free, free victory. It's the perfect way to build confidence. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just bringing up the stat here that United eight straight away Premier League victories. That's a new club record. Uh, that's something which is very impressive, something that I think maybe is being overlooked a little bit. And a few other stats which are not so good. Um, H. Mons Money has said here, Bruno gave it away 37 times. Now, that's that's awful. To be honest with you, yeah. Um, but, but he does it week. Yeah, he does it every week. But as a lot of people are saying in the comments, I think Ben was saying here, if I can find it, it's gone past there. But Ben was saying that he has the habit of obviously getting goals and assists, so that in some ways, you know, he's still impacted the game positively. But United you, need to retain you, the ball back. So I just say this: if you feel you're the creator of the team and you see that with Bruno, that when he gets the ball, he automatically thinks I have to make something happen. So when you are that player in any team you are going to give the ball away a lot more than your teammates. So I don't mind if he gives the ball away 30 or 40 times in a match because generally that's him trying to make an incisive pass or a creative pass. And I said this before in one of our last podcasts about Alexis Sanchez. Alexis Sanchez used to have the lowest passing completion rate at Arsenal, but the most assists and the most goals. And we didn't see that at Manchester United. We saw him just give the ball away and not get any assists and not get any goals. So that then is a problem. I think with Bruno, I think he's now been involved, is it 37, 38 goals in 35 matches? Something like that yeah, since he came to the club? Something unbelievable, yeah. So if you give the ball away, 
it's kind of okay. You know, you don't want him to give the ball away, but then you're kind of looking around the team and seeing what others are doing to complement him and to take the burden off him of creation. What I will say is this, just to add in, Donny van der Beek is not a creative player. Yeah, when he comes in, he's not going to be the player that makes that incisive ball that Bruno can play. He is more like a Frank Lampard. He is a second wind midfielder, raiding late, coming into the box, getting a shot off, getting a goal, getting assists that way. He's not going to be the guy that in the number 10 role, dropping deep, dipping his shoulder, turning and playing in someone round into the channel. That's not really his game. So it is still up to Bruno in this current Manchester United team to be the creator. Yeah, I do agree with that. And I agree with the the sentiment Santos has said here. It's poor game, but goal and assist. I don't actually think, personally, I actually thought we played well today. And I'm more content probably than you, Rob, because I actually think United went into it with uh, with a clear plan. Didn't necessarily work at times, but I thought we were the better side. I thought that for the most, vast majority of it, I do think that us conceding those two goals was a little bit unlucky. It came down to two set pieces. Now, you can say they're unlucky let's just say they weren't from open play and let's talk about those goals a little bit because I think the first one was just absolutely terrible defending at the corner I've seen people say oh it's not too it's it's, it's a great corner it's not really the player's fault it's not too bad it's, it's shocking we've conceded three set pieces to Southampton in our last three goals which suggests to me that we haven't learned and I thought Rashford was at fault there I thought Tellers was at fault there I thought Bruno was at fault there and I just thought the United started so well we'd Coming with a game plan, I thought Southampton hardly had a sniff. And to give away a goal like that is part of the problem with Manchester United. And when we come to consistency, it's not just about results. It's about the goals we concede. Individual errors a lot of the time. And you can't win titles. You can't go and put runs together if you put in individual errors like this. So for me, I mean, that's how I felt about the goal. And then obviously with the second one with Fred, what was he doing there? Why was he making that sort of challenge? Gineppo wasn't really getting anywhere. You can't fault the quality from James Ward-Prowse for that free kick. It was fantastic. And I don't blame De Gea as well. Uh, as Greg says here, James Ward-Prowse won the best in the business on set pieces. I'd agree with that. And then, look, United are sitting at 2-0 down and you're thinking, you've just put yourself in this situation where you've started well, you're looking more threatening, in my opinion, and two avoidable errors, in my opinion, and you're sitting 2-0 down. Yeah, absolutely. You know, unforced errors lose your games, they lose your titles, they lose your places in the league. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I think today on that front post for that first goal, had that been Maguire, Lindelof and Luke Shaw, yeah, the whole of the internet would have broken down and the whole Manchester United bubble on Twitter would have exploded. But it's Tellez that people like, so they're okay with it. Marcus, obviously, and Bruno. So you've got three popular players all making the same mistake, essentially, for the goal, not attacking the ball, not being the correct side, making that mistake, especially Marcus there, you know, allowing the player to make the run to get in front. And you know full well he's going to make the run to get in front because that's all he can do. So you've got to be in front of him or you've got to muscle him out there. And he, he just switched off for that split second and, and lost his man and they score a goal. Uh, as I said, other three other players who are not so popular, we might have been talking about it in a certainly different way. But it's still a repeated issue that we see at Manchester United. It's going over and over again. A player's making silly mistakes. You could look at that and you could put that to Ole and say, is that coaching? And I think it's valid. You know, do players know exactly what they're supposed to do? But I think when you change the team consistently all the time, and I think rotation is needed. I, I'm not one of these people that say, play the same team every week role players and what they do in the team 
does change and it does hurt you, especially from set pieces. There, I saw kind of Tellers was on the front and he kind of, you know, as we used to say, playing on the fields in South London years ago, you couldn't have got a Dalton's Weekly under him. You know, he was kind of jumping up in the air, but not really. It was a kind of token effort. If he really jumps in the air, he gets something on that ball. And the other two players, so with Marcus and, and Bruno, they do that front post routine a lot. They should know better, especially Marcus. You know, Marcus is actually quite tall, physical. He can do that job. So I think Ole would have been very, very disappointed with that. Fred caught the wrong side, silly tackle for the goal. I think, you know, James Ward-Prowse, as soon as he was there and it was Ward-Prowse taking it, I thought this is going to be at least on target because it's Ward-Prowse. I think... David should do a little bit better. I know it's right in the inside of the post, but I think when you set yourself that side to the left, which is what he did, he was actually looking round his wall like this because he's looking at the shape of where the players are coming from. You know it's going on that right-hand side. You do. It's not going on the opposite side. He's not going to swing it in the top left-hand corner. It's coming to the right. So he was expecting it because his body shape was going that way as well. He just didn't move his feet quick enough. So he lost a yard. If he gets his fingertips on it, it goes wide. It's so so close to the post, but he's got to get his he's got to get his fingertips to it before he saves it. He can't be behind his line like he was because if you're behind the line, unless you get a really big pour on it and you're pushing it out, then it's a goal. And that's exactly what happened. I don't blame De Gea for it, but of course he injured himself in that moment as well. So that little bit of position, these fine details that happen in a football match can change things dramatically. Now, thankfully, we've got a guy on the bench who's pretty good, and you know he came on it, didn't he? as the goalkeeper and didn't really make a mistake and it all seemed quite assured. And obviously if David needs a week or two off, then we will be very, very happy just to see Henderson start games. I think it'll be fine. But overall, you know, there's there's kind of a, two or three or four little errors there across both of those goals that still work me. I kind of think that's not perfect. Whereas when we looked at the West Brom game the other day that people were so upset about in terms of the performance, United hardly made a mistake in that game. Yeah, didn't give the ball away. The shape was perfect. They worked hard. They did They did what they had to do. Wasn't a great game. Wasn't entertaining. Today was obviously very entertaining. But you don't really want to be going into games having to come back from 2-0 down at half time and sending on your, your flair Uruguayan striker who's uh, only been at the club five minutes to try and rescue a game. It worked today, but it doesn't work every week if you don't get those things right. Yeah, see, the way I see it, Rob, there was individual errors let us down so you had the you had the finishing i thought from greenwood i know early on and he hasn't played much football but i thought rashford's finishing today was poor i think bruno again should have scored that chance so then there's those individual i guess errors i would say and then you've got bruno's turnover leading to the corner you've got rashford's defending at the corner obviously with those two other players uh bruno and tellers and then fred's foul leading up to free kick you, you it's quite interesting because for me I think the only reason I disagree with the only reason why United looked more assured against West Brom is because the threat was almost non-existent from them. I don't think they were, they're not a particularly good side. They'd set up to sit deep. Whereas I think you're playing a better side today. So I think it's, it's likely that when you play a better side, like we did with Southampton, that these errors probably would occur, uh, would occur because you're playing against a team who have more quality, who are better drilled, better players, better manager. So I think that's when you look at, perhaps the West Brom game, I think maybe that's not really a good example. I think when you look at, let's say, maybe, maybe I would say maybe the Istanbul game is a better one to compare with the West Brom one. But I think when you're looking at get today's game, we played a side to in, in very good form, sitting up near the top of the table. I think considering what everything that happened, I 
think United on the whole played quite well. Yeah, I think it's splitting hairs though. I think every team in the Premier League is good and can hurt you. It doesn't matter if you're playing the bottom place team or the top. That is how it is in the Premier League. Every team has got strengths. Most Premier League teams have got strength. They've got numbers. They've got a little bit of depth. They've got pace. They can all hurt you. So I don't look at West Brom. This is the thing. West Brom are at the bottom of the table. So everyone kind of, you know, with our Manchester United snobbery goes, well, we should be beating them. Of course, we should be beating them. But it doesn't mean the task is any easier. You know, so today at Southampton, going to Southampton, we were 2-0 down at halftime. You know, let's get, get off the highness for a little bit. We were 2-0 down in this game. And if Southampton have Danny Ings, United do not win this game. So then we can turn at the end of it and we say, right, what happens to Manchester United in there? Well, then we'll be talking about Ole being sacked again or Pochettino or other things, you know, in terms of the, the Manchester United conversation. I'm not saying the performance today was bad. It wasn't bad at all. It was just good in patches. But United gave away territory and gave away the ball and gave away kind of the momentum at times when United were on top. Certainly in that first half, you know, 20 minutes, it only looked like a Manchester United win, didn't it? It didn't look like that Southampton were going to contribute towards the game. It didn't look like they were on the pitch. And suddenly, bang, bang, they're 2-0 up because Man United are making mistakes. We've got to iron out these mistakes. And if you don't iron out these mistakes, you are not coming in the top four. If you don't iron out these mistakes, you're not coming anywhere near the top of the table to challenge. You know, I said at the start there, you know, that kind of little bit of blue sky thinking and saying, well, United looking at the shape of the table in the weeks to come, you know, coming up through December and January, if they have a good run, then they will definitely be near that top spot. Certainly with the way that Liverpool are playing and the way that Manchester City have been playing in recent weeks. It's not unfathomable. But United have to be better, you know, and today's not the standard. Just because we're high because we won and it was a good comeback and there were bits of the performance that were good and people saw players that they want to see play, like Tellez, like Van der Beek. People always want to see these players because they're the new players. Great, you know, and it worked. But not all the tactics worked. Some of them were a bit skew if The shape wasn't really there, you know. And if we want to do negatives just for two minutes, like we're going to talk about Tellers as well. Tellers, I don't think, was great on the front foot today. Same problems with uh, Aaron Wambasaka that has been every week since the last six months. You know, the midfield ball retention wasn't always really good. The creativity wasn't always there. And we missed a ton of shots. Is that a great performance or a good performance? I don't know. To me, it's average. It's good that we got the result, and I think United did more than enough to win three points. They were better than Southampton on the day, but still a little bit away from where I want that bar to be in terms of your week-to-week performances. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, we'll take a few questions at the end. We've got to rattle through a few more topics. We will talk about Tellez now. Rob, let's talk about him. So, for me, I think a lot of people, like you said, are very excited to see Tellez play. He's obviously a very talented footballer. We know what quality he has on the ball. I mean, look, here's, here's a little stat for you. you know, United had 21 crosses versus Southampton. That's a lot. I mean, I'm not sure how, many, how much it is compared to other games, but United naturally don't cross very much, don't usually have someone in the box. So for me, that does... It's about three months worth of crosses for Manchester United. Yeah, exactly. We're not, we're not across... <laughs> yeah, 21 crosses is a lot. We're not a crossing side. So I think for me, I mean, I like Alex Tellez and I'm not so high on Luke Shaw. But I think, you know, there are certain qualities that Shaw perhaps is better than Tellers at. And I think the obvious area is in the defensive side of the game. I'm not really someone that gets upset with Luke Shaw when it comes to the defensive side. He has moments where he's not particularly good positionally, but the problem is going forward. Now, Tellers, today he didn't really excel in either area, did he? I thought going forward, we didn't see or he didn't showcase 
that ability and talent that we had. And what we've seen is actually since Tellez has been playing perhaps slightly more further forward, Wan-Bissaka has been playing more conservative, I would say. This is something, is that something tactical, do you think? Or is it just a case of Wan-Bissaka, um, you know, isn't as good going forward, so he's not going forward. And obviously Tellez is better, so he's going forward more. Or is it something that Oli has been working on? I, th- I think partially it is tactical, but also players have to take responsibility for themselves and with their game and what they do on the football pitch. So uh, as far as te- I'm concerned with Tellez, you know, it will take him time to learn to play Manchester United's effective flat back four. Yeah, that's how United play. It's a flat back four where the fullbacks have to go and get forward and get back. And as we know, Manchester United's fullbacks over the last few years have been fairly inept at getting forward from that flat back four. So the reason why you buy someone like Tellez is to say to him, right, guy, go and go on your bike, get up the pitch, get the ball in the box and cross it. Now, if you've got someone like Cavani in there, it's easy, isn't it? You know you've got a target. You've got a number nine who's going to go and try and get his head on the ball. That's not something Manchester United traditionally have had for a very long time, maybe since even going back to Robin Van Persie, maybe, you know, someone who a, a, a striker who will go and do striker things, as we call it. But what I would say is this. I think when you look at the balance of those fullbacks and you look at it today, I what I saw really with Tellez is a guy who's getting to know the system. And he didn't know whether to be kind of too narrow. There was at times where he was looking at centre-back and he was trying to close the gap and close the channel. And then he was leaving 100 yards of space on the outside. Now, had Southampton exploited that maybe more effectively, they could have got around the back of United six or seven times in the game. They didn't. So United got away with that. A better team exploits that. What I found he was trying to do is obviously his starting position, like we have seen in other games that Tellers has played, was kind of more up equal with the midfield. And that's where I want to see him play. You know, I would rather see Wan-Bissaka sit and allow him to do that. The old Mourinho kind of style of making three sit and one go. The asymmetric Of course, and and if there's only one goes, I want it to be Tellez because I tell you what, I'm losing patience with Wan-Bissaka in terms of what he does on that right-hand side. I think he's great at tackling. I think he's a great kind of defensive mind in those positions. He's not great narrow. He's not great on the inside. But everything on the outside, yeah, he's fine with. But you need more. You need more. From a right-back, they have to be able to go on the outside. They have to be able to overlap. Because that then allows your midfield to go and do other things. If you've got someone overlapping around the back of the midfield, then you can do more. Wamsaka can't do that effectively. So that's something for Ole to think about. And there's certainly been a lot of talk in the last few weeks that Manchester United will address that right-back situation in this transfer window or in the summer transfer window. Because it is a problem. There's no doubt about it. You need width. And the width comes from your fullbacks. It doesn't come from your, your wide forwards like we talk about wingers and stuff. They're not wingers anymore. The fullbacks have to go and do the wing play. So I think that'll be okay for Tellez. Today, Luke Shaw, no doubt, would have fitted this system so much better than Tellez because he would have just plugged that gap. He'd have edged forward when he needed to, but he would have covered behind and that would have helped the midfield. So then the midfield may not have been as lopsided. Do you see what I'm saying? So it's about the shape of the team. And then you can kind of talk about what you want your two strikers to do. If you're playing a 4-4-2 diamond, the strikers have to do certain different things. One might drop, one might go. You want to play on the last man. You want to go a bit wider. You can overload certain parts of the pitch. Then you can talk expansive tactics. But for me, the fullbacks, it's not still not working. Ole has to solve this because if he does not solve this, it will be one of the stories of the season that Manchester United still haven't solved their problem at fullback. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I'm going to read out a few comments, Rob. Greg... 
Greg must have been watching this show quite a few times because we have both said he's more suited as a wing back. That's Tellez. Agreed. Three at the back is for me still the preferred formation. Hopefully, if we have the personnel for that. A few others. Jamie agrees with me as well. Lamptey is a player that possibly we can look at. Um, Greg's asking, do you think Wambasaka can get better going forward? And Absent Daddy is saying it's no use anyone to say he's a great defender. His position has evolved so much. Wambasaka has to do more. I think that's a very good point. Look, Rob, looking at the fullback position as well, I do think that when we're talking about Tellez getting exposed, we played that 4-4-2 diamond. So on the left of that diamond was Van der Beek. So for me, again, that's a new partnership. Like you talk about the chemistry. That's yeah. a really good point that you make. And I think fans sometimes forget it. Sometimes I forget it. I'm just as guilty as anyone else where you think, right, okay, let's just go in, put the players in the team and let's play because they're quality. But you Don't have to remember as well, it doesn't work like that. It takes time, a lot of training. Obviously, the time on the training ground is, is Football's actually... Football a chess cold. match. Football is a chess match. Yeah. It's all the pieces on the board. If you don't get it right, you will get hurt, you will lose the game, and you'll feel terrible at the end of it because you'll think, well, I thought I had the game plan. I thought I had the right pieces in the right places, and that's all it takes. It doesn't. Yeah. It's much, much more profound than that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And when I looked at that left-hand side, I thought, well, firstly, it's van der Beek covering that side as well. So... That's why I felt like Tellers was more exposed. And that's why perhaps I've given Tellers maybe a bit of a pass. I remember as well, it's a small sample size. It's his fourth game. And Tellers has played four games for United. I think it's four starts and four wins. And the same so, for Van der Beek. You know, yeah. first start for Manchester United in the Premier League. I, I think you see with Van der Beek, I think one of the issues that I kind of highlighted today, I thought, was that he tends to play at one pace. And that's very, very Eredivisie. Yeah, you play at Ajax. It's kind of pick and pop. But it's all you'll see that the midfield shape is all kind of together and at the same pace. You see it will advance, it will come back. It's natural. You know, it's it's not kind of helter-skelter. In the Premier League, you can't do that. The Premier League is standing start and bang, because I've got to go and get to my marker. So what you will find in there, and you just highlighted it with, with um, Donny on the left-hand side of a diamond, is that when he needs to go and press that side of the wing to help Tellers to double up, that has to be natural. And it wasn't working. So even at the top end, it was exactly the same with Rashford today. And I think we, you know, we look at Rashford. He's not fit. There's no doubt about it. He's not 100% fit. And again, he, he, did, started Rob, game. He, did not, he did not play well today. I think I he only started there. today because Martial uh, called in sick and was not ready for the match. So Rashford had to play. So, you know, he could have played Cavani, but obviously he goes with Rashford. If Rashford could go on the football pitch, he starts games. That's what Ole tends to do. But today Rashford made bad decisions. But I think the other thing you could see was exactly the same issue with Van der Beek is that there just wasn't that energy in his opening press. And that's what I always judge a player on because I know that then when they do that, they know what their job is. Yeah, because it's programmed. They're thinking, I've got to get to that man first because that is my role in this role-playing bit of the midfield or the attack. So I think that will get better. Yeah, I'm not worried about it in terms of Van der Beek or, or, or even Tellez because I think that as the weeks go on, he'll just assimilate more to the, the formation. And Ole has talked about this in countless press conferences. And this is also why I think it's taken Van der Beek time to get a start because he needs to learn all these things because one thing Manchester United are not, we're not Ajax. Yeah, it's a good point. Jamie's asking here, and what are the other right backs out there? It's a good question. I mean, are United looking at anyone, Rob? Have you heard anything on the grapevine? Or are they hedging their bets on young Ethan Laird, who is a great talent? Obviously, he's had a few injury problems of late. But are United looking at that position? Because I do agree with you, wan as the weeks are going on, I'm thinking, look, we need more from you going forward. And people are talking about the right wing as a problem. But no, I, I think 
Wan-Bissaka's lack of development going forward and uh, lack of potency and accuracy in his crossing is a real problem for United. Yeah, I, th- I think if Ethan Laird stays fit and he's a great talent, there is no doubt about it. I think he has got all the potential to be a starter at Manchester United for years to come, then great. I probably think he will more likely go out on loan potentially at some point. There's no doubt that United want to address this, this right-sided problem. And it is a problem now. You know, like I think going into the season, there was lots of talk that let's give wan a year, give him time, give him chances. You know, he, he'll, he, will, he will develop. He, he was a guy, obviously, we said before at Crystal Palace in his young years, he was a winger. So he is not, you know, completely out of the loop of what to do in the final third of the pitch. The problem is his quality is just not good enough. So as a defender, you might say he's an elite-level defensive right-sided player. But going forwards, he's nowhere near elite. You know, he wouldn't be, I think, in the top 15 clubs of the Premier League as an attacking fullback. And you need to have that now. You need it in your game. You said Lamptey. I know you like Lamptey. The reason why I say no to Lamptey at the moment is, one, that he is a development project still. You know, that would take time. He's not a kind of drop it in and it just suddenly works. He's looked great for Brighton. It's very, very different Kettler Fish playing for Brighton and Hove Albion and the expectations than it is for Manchester United. In the same way that for Wambasaka, it's very, very different playing for Crystal Palace and looking big in a small pond. Yeah. So Lamptey for me wouldn't be the automatic choice because he might still cost you 20 odd million, 25 million or something like that. He might go on and be a very good player in years to come. He, he's a kind of progressive wing back in his, on his best day. But United need to go and find their tele signing on the right. That's what you need. Someone who can play wing back, who's competent at several different things and gives you a bit of balance for what Wambasaka can do. Now, I'm not saying it's the end for Wambasaka. Certainly not. He's still young and he might just suddenly catch fire at some point. But he seems to be becoming more conservative in his play. You know, that, that little pass inside to Fred does me mad every match. Yeah, he does it. He gets to the halfway line. And rather than going, he's quick. Rather than going on the outside and maybe taking on his man and just driving it towards the corner flag and taking United 30, 40 yards up the pitch, which is what a wing back should do. He comes inside and plays one twos, you know, with Bruno or with with um with Fred. And it stops the play. It, it makes United a more of a sticky entity in that part of the pitch where you want to be fluid, you want to be working through the team. It's a big issue, you know, and there's no doubt that there's lots of talk in terms of what Manchester United wouldn't want to do on that right-hand side. I think they will go out and purchase in January. It reminds me a lot of Antonio Valencia, someone who was an ex-winger who moved to, obviously, further back into a right-back. And I just thought he was another player who, very one-footed, always looked inside. When he did cross it in, he played it, those very low, sort of across-the-ground crosses. He could that cross a ball to save yeah. his life. Yeah, United's right-back for five years, six years, and he couldn't cross a ball to save his yeah. life. And, yeah. and it worked for one season when Wayne Rooney was playing as the number nine, and Valencia would go wide, knock it, because he's got that pace, that power, cross the ball into the box. Sometimes he would clip it, sometimes he would smash it, and Rooney would get on the end of it and score goals, and it seemed to work. And everyone went, yeah, this guy should wear a number seven shirt. No. So I think with Wan-Bissaka, you know, especially as he's a young player, you don't want to kind of take away his confidence and ruin him. But it doesn't, you know, it's not going to be a problem if you bring in someone else and he sits on the bench now and then. You know, I always say this, you know, like Rashford's still young. Rashford should sit on the bench some weeks. You know, give the boy a rest. So I think that's the ultimate utopia for Ole. I think he's building the squad towards those things and buying role players and players doing certain jobs. 
But you're right. It's the same like Ashley Young, isn't it? Ashley Young was a winger. To get him in the team, they kind of turned him into a fullback. He did a kind of average job as a fullback. He never really was that attacking again. Very rarely got an assist from fullback. Your fullbacks have to get you assists. Your fullbacks must get you double digits every season. If they don't get you double digits, then you're in trouble. Yeah, exactly. It's something we banged on a lot about, isn't it, Rob, about the importance of the fullbacks and their importance going forward. Let's move on, though, to the biggest reason why Manchester United are sitting here with a 3-2 victory, and that is the man himself, Edinson Cavani. Now, just a few statistics, Rob, just to outline the impact he's had, because I think a lot of people were quite concerned when we signed him. I was very happy with this signing. I thought, you know what? United need a proper number nine. For me, I've been having battles on Twitter the last two days. Not saying Martial's a bad player. I just don't think he's the right sort of number nine for Man United. That's just my opinion. But Cavani's now scored three goals and one assist in 256 minutes for United. That's a goal contribution every 64 minutes. And when I look at Cavani, this is what I think about any sort of world-class goal scorer. As they get older, because Cavani's, what, 33 years old? He's not exactly a spring chicken. The instincts and that movement are always there. They never go. You either have it or you don't. And Cavani is someone who showed today that he has that instinct in the box. Both goals, we've had discussion about this. He made those runs across and that header, especially for the final one, is so underrated. And it's things that you don't... I feel like you can't... You can teach them, but you either got it or you don't. And Cavani's got it. And I just feel like for Man United, his work rate off the ball is fantastic. He's very cunning in his runs and his movement. I feel like He's someone who communicates a lot as well that you hear around the ground. He's someone who's coming in as a leader. He's really bringing the lads up. He's being someone who can lead that dressing room, something United haven't had. And I do think he also marshals the attack very well. He's got great link-up play. Is he the player that United can rely on, though, for the remainder of the season? Because I'm going to say the season because he is on that one-year contract, potential second-year contract. For United to say to him, right, you're our number nine and we're going we're gonna to put our trust in you or is he an option just to come off the bench? To the answer to the question, if it's yes or no, the answer is no. There's no, if Ole gives him the kind of number nine berth and says, let's go with Cavani this season, that completely negates two or three or four years worth of work at Manchester United, going back to the Mourinho era. It's a difficult one because again, I still think football fans look at it. I keep saying it all the time in this kind of, this FIFA world of football manager and selecting players and how you select a player. If you're going to bring Cavani into your team now and you're kind of building it around him effectively this season, because that's what we're saying. Do you make him the starter, the number nine? Do you make him the focal point of the team? When well, 12 months time, you're going to have to go and find another striker and you're starting again, that whole process. Now, if I'm Anthony Martial, I get it. You know what you're saying. Cavani, those two goals he scored today were strikers goals. Yeah, cutting. What I liked about them was he cut across the space, and it was something that I remember, you know, years ago that when you would look at someone like a Van Nistelrooy or someone like that, Van Van Persie, you know, they would gamble on the space. Yeah, they didn't stand there and think, "Let me go and get it." Let it come to me. I'm going to just go across the space to see if I can get a touch on a ball, generally with just a, like a glancing header or a boot or something like that and score a goal. And those were what those two goals were today. And they were great because they're not goals Man United score. But the idea is that you have to teach Anthony Martial these things. He's still a young player. You have to teach Rashford these things. You have to teach Greenwood these things. You can't just drop him and say, well, do you know what? Let's bring the 30-something in who's going to be here for 12 months and then he's going to be off living on his farm in Uruguay because that's where he's going. 
no, you know, this is, it's regressive. So I think also, you know, fans do think game to game. So Cavani's come on today, he's had 45 minutes. That's fantastic. He scored two goals, he's won us the game. It's better to have a deeper bench and have Cavani sat there who can come on, watch a game and come on and have an impact with 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 45 minutes. He will start loads of games this season in rotation. Yeah, United have got a ton of games this year. Yeah, all competitions, plenty to do. He is going to start games. But we can't just say and be definitive and be binary and keep saying, well, he's the number nine because you've got to keep people happy. You have to. Martial, if I get 23 goals and six assists in the season, I'm not doing many things wrong. Now, I've started the season badly. Yeah, I got suspended. I'm out the team for three games. It's a bit stop-start. I've had no preseason. I have to get up to speed. I have to prove myself. But I don't think we should just suddenly be saying, right, let's build the team around Cavani. That would be backwards for me because in 12 months' time, you're either going to have Martial saying, right, I want to leave the club because you don't believe in me anymore. Rashford's role might have been stuck further to the left because of Cavani. And you might have Mason Greenwood going... Do you know what? Last year, I scored 20 goals from the right-hand side, and now I'm not playing on the right because they're balancing out Cavani, and they're playing Mata there, so I'm not playing games. You've suddenly got an unhappy squad. You've got to have balance. I'd like to see Cavani start plenty of games this year. I don't want to see him being the starting number nine. I want players to learn from him. I want them to work together. He is much more effective coming off the bench or starting games like today. You know, today, I think he could have started today and gone, right, you know, there's no Martial. Martial's out because he's sick. So you drop Cavani in. Rotation has to be effective. I don't want suddenly Manchester United, who were not hot on Cavani, I'm talking about the fans here, only two or three or four weeks ago and saying he's unfit, he's not ready, you know, it's not going to work. It's terrible. And now man, those same United fans are saying, start him. Nah, it's 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 regressive, unfortunately. You've got to have the balance. I still go with Martial at the moment. He's my number nine, I would say. I think he proved it last season. I don't think he's the most natural number nine in the world, but if United play over a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3, he can play all those formations successfully as a centre-forward. But Rob, the problem is that when you look at today, we saw Mason play up front, and I really want to see Mason be playing in that centre-forward role. Like that's, that's where his future is. That's where he's going to be a fantastic player that's a long-term view but i understand you've got to give these kids game time you've got to give them the opportunity to develop but what we saw today is both him and marcus up front they didn't hold the ball up well at all now ollie can't be going in and being like right okay i'm going to give you the opportunity because obviously i'm going to build the club around you because you're the future but he's got to win games on a game-to-game basis you can't be saying if, if cavani's doing the job and i for me today rob what changed United's game today was the fact that, yes, they changed the formation in the second half, but also they had a focal point. We didn't have that in the first half. Every time Rashford plays up front, for me, he's not a number nine. He doesn't hold the ball up well. His decision-making isn't good enough. I don't think he's clinical enough either. That's my opinion. I think he's better off the left. So it's, you might be in a situation now where Oli, like what he's done with the midfield, where he's gone, right, okay, we've been beaten by Spurs. I need to play two defensive midfielders. Right, I need to win games. Cavani's the one who's providing the best sort of performances at number nine. So I'm going to play him. And then you've got that situation, which has inadvertently happened just because Oli needs results and United need to win. So whichever way you look at it, Oli can't be, a, I guess, like a charity case and be like, right, I'm going to play you there because you're the future of the club. But if you're not ready to play number nine, which I don't think Mason is, we can, we can. That's not an indictment on him as a player. He's a fantastic talent. He will be United's number nine. But I don't think he's ready to play that position. And Cavani's come in and he's almost a ready-made option. So Oli will go for him. And I don't think he's necessarily thinking 
a year ahead. That's just my opinion. I mean, you can debunk that, but I just don't think that Oli has the time because he's he, he's one defeat away from everyone saying Pochettino again. If he'd lost today, people would be saying Pochettino. Just so he's got to win games. So Cavani, I think, at the moment, is the best option to play number nine, perhaps with Martial in the two. And that's probably what Oli will do going forward. If you run any business outside of football, yeah, and you don't look after your staff and you don't keep everyone happy and optimum, you're in trouble. The business collapses, you lose. It's the same with football clubs. Yeah. So what we're talking about here is not just about morale, but it's about having this kind of my favorite word, holistic view on running football clubs. And this is what all teams do. Pep Guardiola does it at City and we see Klopp do it at Liverpool. You rotate, you bring in players, you do it at the right time. Everyone's a role player to play different systems to do whatever you want to do to win football matches. Now, ultimately, yes, you're right. Winning games is what matters. And if Ole is given a kind of, again, a, a singular choice of that, if I play Cavani today, I win, he plays Cavani. That's how he does it. But Ole has been brought to this club to build the club over a kind of two or three or four year period. This is why football clubs get called projects. Yeah, because football clubs are not about just winning that week. You have to win in the future. That's your ultimate goal. And if your top players, you know, you're, the real stars of this Manchester United team in terms of potential value going forward, it's not Harry Maguire, is it? It's not Victor Lindelof. You know, it isn't even Wan-Bissaka or Tellez or Shaw or any of these players, not Fred. Your real stars in the future are Anthony Martial, Marcus Rashford and Mason Greenwood. So you can either say we are going to be a Mourinho-esque club and not play these youngsters because they're young and they might make mistakes, or you can stick with them and teach them and train them to be where you want them to be. That's the Manchester United that I support. That's who I. That's the club that I believe in. I believe in that style of management. That if you, whatever your manager is, that's how you have to be. You know. So yeah, you're right. You know, if you you lose one game like today, they'd lost. This is the irony of it. You know, people are high today because United won three two and it's a yeah, great comeback. True. If United lose a game two one or one nil, everyone's going mad and saying it was terrible and all they should you know pack his bags and go. None of these things are, are real. They're just in people's minds. I'm sorry, that's the truth. Yeah. So everyone has different ideas about tactics and who should play and starters, and I get that. And I totally understand the debate about whether Martial should be a number nine or not. But I just always lay the facts on the table. 23 goals, six assists last season. The boy scored goals as a number nine and he got assists and Man United came third. He's not that bad. What I would say is I want United to create more. Give him chances. Give him opportunities. Now, there's no way Martial scores those two goals today. No, no way. No way. But, then, but that's up to Ole as the manager to see that and make that change and go like today, like Mason, Mason misses that opportunity. And if I'm Ole, I'm going, Mason doesn't normally miss those. He, he, he buries those in training, but he's been, he's been in grief and breathing recently and he's been out the team and he needs games. He needs minutes, but do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look after the boy and take him out after 45 minutes because I've got this guy called Cavani on the bench. Manchester United's big problem in the last 12 months, certainly under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's reign, has been having a pile of junk on the bench that can't change games. Today, he changed the game after 45 minutes and Manchester United won. That's the way to do it. That's being progressive. If you start Cavani, then yeah, there are times when you can have Mason on the bench and you can have uh, uh, Tony on the bench and you can have Marcus on the bench. It's not That's not a problem. Mix it up, match it. But I don't think we should go to this kind of very straight-headed way of going, right, Cavani's number nine and everything, everything's about Cavani now. What if Cavani pulls his, you know, pulls a muscle in three or four weeks' time and then we're going, oh, we've, we've set this team up to be Cavani-esque and to, you know, without Cavani now, we, we're a mess again. No, 
work with all your pieces of the jigsaw. If you don't complete the jigsaw, it's not worth starting it, is it? So United have started this jigsaw. Go and bloody complete it. Get these young players playing where we want them to be. And that's the way Manchester United will become the football club that we all used to love. No, I completely agree with some of those points. I mean, James has got one here. It's about Oli thinking he might not be thinking ahead if he thinks someone is waiting for his job. And you said here again in sort of counter to some of the stuff you said, that style is great, Rob, as long as there's a guarantee that he doesn't lose his job. That's a very fair point, though, isn't it? And we talked about Martial last season. I like Martial. I prefer him off the left, personally. I think United still need to go and invest in the number nine, if that's Haaland, if that's Ronaldo. No, I'm joking. I know you don't want Ronaldo. But, you know, if it's someone of that ilk, you know, Haaland, I think they'd be a fantastic option. But this also isn't the same Manchester United team. I know it's early on, but that we saw at the end of last season. We had Matic playing in, in great form. We had Pogba in the side as well. People forget about the impact that Pogba had after the restart. I think he was absolutely fantastic. Obviously, Bruno is doing similar to what he's doing, but this United side isn't, as you said, creating enough chances, and that's difficult for a forward. But So this side isn't creating enough chances, so the forward line aren't getting the supply, which means the forward line aren't playing as well, which means their confidence is going down. Do you know how it is? It's all a knock-on effect. Mm. And then you're think Oli's thinking, right, I've got to win games. So, right, I'll chuck Cavani on. He'll start this game. Because, do, you know, do you understand where I'm coming from that? We can talk about this long-term vision. We all want that. I want to build the club around race Mason, not around Cavani. But if he's if Ollie's going each each week, he's going right. If I lose a game, I'm going to get sacked, or I'm at the threat of getting sacked. He's just going to be about the victory, and that's why I think for me the performances haven't been particularly entertaining because I think he has gone pragmatic first, and we're yeah. seeing that at the moment. I I, I think you're you're partially right, but you've got to have the ball to do it, Ada. Yeah, this, this is sport, top level sport. Yeah. And if you see something in someone like and we're talking about here, Mason Greenwood, Anthony Martial, you know, Marcus Rashford, we know the talent they have. If you're not prepared to develop that talent because you want results and you want to kind of do it now, then this isn't really Manchester United, is it? It's a different football club. Yeah, you've got to do it the right way. Even Fergie did it. Fergie did it and got rid of established stars to bring in kids. And everyone went, what are you doing? You can't win anything with kids. Now, I know that Ole is not in the same position as Fergie was at that point, but it is the same it's the same style we're talking about in terms of philosophy. And that is, you've got to have the balls to do it. You've got to say to that kid, Mason, you're a teenager. I believe you're going to be the best striker in the world. I'm going to big you up. And you know, you miss that chance state. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Go home, rest, come into training, do all your prep, be ready to go again. That's what football is. You know, that's the football I see at football clubs whenever I visit them, whenever I'm doing my work. You know, you've got to have this momentum that you build from within organically, you know. And and football fans, again, just think this is about selection. You know, you drop a player in here, you drop a player in there. Yeah, Cavani's the star player. What if Cavani plays the next game and has a stinker? Yeah, what if he comes on, he does nothing. He plays 90 minutes the next game, misses seven chances, doesn't hit the target once, looks a bit off. What do we then say? We're doing another podcast here, the next masterclass going drop Cavani. It can't be like that. You know, really can't. This is what really gets me as a United fan because we've had seven years of this. Yeah, and it was like it was no worse than under Mourinho because that was what Mourinho did. You know, he, he did things on a kind of whim of what he thought he needed at that point. And I get it because all managers want to keep their jobs, but you have to have the balls to see it through. And I tell you what, if Ole plays progressively or tries to play progressively and gives the kids a chance and he loses his job, 
that's a shame. I don't want him to lose his job, you know, not in that way. But, you know, I'll at least, at least say, well, do you know what? He gave it a go. You know, he, he, he stuck to his principles and did it. He has a very, very set defined way of what he wants to see at Manchester United because he was raised under Sir Alex Ferguson at his football club. We need to be trying to replicate that philosophy rather than maybe just taking grains of it and saying, well, maybe we'll just do a little bit of this, that and the other. Maybe we'll be a little bit like Man City and a little bit like Liverpool. Liverpool are organic. Klopp is organic. Klopp does it the way that Klopp wants to do. And do you know what? If they draw 1-1 against Brighton, Klopp comes out, sticks his fingers up to the world and says, I don't care. I'm going to do it again next week. You know, he gets all bullshit about it and gets argumentative. I'm cool with that. That's fine. Stick with it. Have the balls to do it. Because people who have the balls who do those things generally become winners at the end of the day. Yeah, I'm going to read out a few of the comments, Rob. Uh, are you have to take Of course, yeah, I'd like to have loads of questions. Let's do it. I'm just going to read out your comments. So while we do that, we we can do questions for about 15 minutes. So if you guys have any questions, please chuck them in there now. Santosh is saying, how many games have United lost this season and the end of last season? Three. Very, very few. Shouldn't be talking about Oli getting sacked. Agree. Recent yeah, I think since Bruno joined five, I'm assuming you mean in all competitions. Yeah. Um, can I react have... just to re reiterate the stat? I always say every every uh, every podcast because it's it's salient from January to the end of last season. Manchester United got more points than Liverpool, won the title, and also Manchester City came second during that period. So when we talk about consistency. There is consistency there. However, there's not always consistency in performance. And Lukash says here, most of the pressure on Oli is superficial, created by tabloids for a story. Agreed. The same LVG. Uh, absent daddy, that is James, is saying, is there a pressure to succeed quicker now? Managers don't get time nowadays. Yeah, the average um, tenure for a manager, I believe, since 2012, 14 months, 14 months yeah, yeah, which is crazy, which is why teams now don't have a manager like we did with Sir Alex, who are in charge of everything. They have direct football in different areas because... There is that pressure. Yeah, there, there is, yeah. You, you know, you lose three games, people want you out. And that's, yeah. that's English football in a nutshell. Uh, and, and it used to happen in Europe over, you know, a 20-year period where you'd lose two or three games at Real Madrid, you get sacked. That's kind of how they did it, you know. And we're seeing that now here in England because fans, it's a global sport and there is a pressure that if you don't win games, you've ruined my weekend. And because you've ruined my weekend, I'm going on Twitter and I'm going to shout at you. It, it, the pressure is superficial. I, I've said to this before, Ole and the players don't feel it. You know, today they'll be high because they won 3-2. And do you know what? They'll go and do the work at home in Carrington. And they'll say, do you know what? We won 3-2, but it wasn't perfect. Let's work. And that's the philosophy and that's the principle. No one's going to be saying, Mason, you missed two chances. Mason, what were you doing? Oh, no. that's You leave that for fans. You know, fans can do that. They're allowed to do that. You pay your money. You can say what you want. But at football clubs, it's not really about that. It's about progression. And if you lose games, the surest thing, 100%, is that you will get sacked. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a results-based industry, isn't it, Rob? Uh, ben saying here, this is the first time post Fergie that it actually feels like United have a long term plan. Credit to Oli for selling that vision to the owners. Yes, and Barry says here, Oli is showing bravery. Uh, we've got a few questions here, Rob. So we'll start with Alan. Guys, thank you. Keep on getting your questions in and your comments. They've been really, really brilliant tonight. Thank you as always. It's made the show absolutely fantastic. Alan saying here, who would you rotate for the PSG game? Now, this is a tough one, Rob, because I feel like I want us to go back to a back three. And I did tweet that I would like to see perhaps Cavani and Martial up top. That's an interesting combination, obviously, if Martial is fit. But we don't have Axel and we don't have Luke Shaw. So the question is, can we play that back three? So would you be going for a 
back four again? And would you probably be bringing in Fred McTomney and basically playing, I wouldn't say play for the draw, but if you're not a draw, they go through, don't they? Ole has got to lose one game against PSG. It's got to happen. Yeah. So this, this is a difficult game for United, even though PSG are not in a great moment. Uh, for me, the black the, the the back three has worked, but without two in Zabi, your your options are limited. You could play Mengi. Uh, Luke Shaw's not far away, and I think that's partly maybe some of the thinking is that you would just go with obviously the two centre backs and Luke Shaw coming to the left. You could do that, but then you'd have a back three that really didn't have the pace that if they got exposed, if Neymar burst through that channel, which he will. And if Mbappe goes through that channel and he will, then you're in trouble. You then have to kind of find a balance. It doesn't mean that you change your tactics. I think Ole will stick with the tactics. You just have to find the players to play that formation. Um, you know, we, we don't really know where Scott McTominay is. You know, he was obviously pivotal as well in that win in Paris. And, you know, we have to kind of see where he is in terms of his prep. He is, I think, as a, as important in that system as Tuanzebi was in the victory in Paris because he will track the player running through the channel. It's difficult for United. You might see that United play really low block. You know, you might see United play something like a 5-4-1, like a really, really kind of negative, blocking up those channels because that might be the smart way to hurt PSG best to be able to counter-attack on them. These are the games where I don't mind United not being progressive. You don't have to be progressive every week. Yeah, you don't have to be Mavericks and swashbuckling and no, all of that. United need to secure you, it for me. You, United are not. United are not going to play with a diamond. Yeah, against them, they're not. They're, and if they do, it will be a different kind of diamond. It will be much more, much more kind of narrow and deeper and flatter and all of those things that we talk about in systems. I think United will probably start with Cavani because Cavani will give you work rate. Now, we have to obviously see as well where Martial is. If he's sick today, he probably is not going to be able to train, is he, before Tuesday? So he's probably out. So you can kind of make summaries just based around the kind of tidbits that we do know and then look at what Ole can do. Because again, this is a repeated system. These players at least have practiced it behind closed doors because they've played PSG a few times over the last kind of two-year period. They know what they have to do. Have United got the personal to do it? I'm not sure. Uh, are United more likely to lose this game than they were in Paris? Potentially. I just think United, it's a game where they need to kind of play to stop PSG's weapons and then play on a counter-attack. And if they do that, they've got a chance to win the match. Yeah, I agree with that. Reese has got a really great question there, actually, Rob, which is one which I think a lot of fans do ask. So he's asking... Do you think it's down to Oli? This is in terms of the errors. Um, down to Oli's coaching and his coaching stuff, or just the lack of focus on players? If so, how does this improve? Now, I remember last season when I was at the end of last season, I was doing a little bit of analysis into United's defense because obviously United had the third best defense, 36 goals conceded, which on paper, and you look at it without context, that's fantastic. You think, right, okay, Harry Maguire's come in, he's improved defense, blah, 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 blah. But actually, out of those 36 goals conceded, 11 were due to personal errors. Now, I think that's skewed because De Gea made what, about seven errors leading to goals and obviously was having a poor time. But that's a concern. So that's for me when people look at statistics, that's when you don't have context to them. Sometimes that can be a little bit misleading. But I think a lot of the blame has to lie with the players, Rob. You can't go out there and say, oh, if, if I don't know, if Maguire just makes a mistake like that or makes a silly mistake, makes a handball and it's a penalty and then the goal 
comes from that that is ollie's fault because i think that's unfair but when can you start saying okay this is a coaching problem like for example against istanbul both goals well the first goal in particular that was that's more lending towards a coaching point isn't it i think i look at it like this when a player makes an individual error it's a player's fault whatever happens but then you can look a little bit deeper and below the shades and say, right, how did that error happen? So like today with Fred, yeah, Fred is in a playing in a position that the manager's asked him to play. And then he's trying to recover in a way that maybe he probably shouldn't be. And that's partially to do with the system. The system is the choice of the manager. It's just that the player is not doing it at that time. Now there's lots of fans who blame the player and no one else. And then there's lots of fans that just blame the coach and let the players off completely. I, I say it's both, yeah. You know, if, if, a, if a manager picks a system, he has to be aware that those players that he's got have to be able to play it. So today, the issues that we saw against Southampton that we've been talking about, I think Ole has to carry some of that because the lopsided shape of the diamond comes from training. Yeah, it comes from where players are supposed to do, but it's, it's how you train them. So there is partially some of that is to do with Ole. But for all we know, Ole has given them those drills and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. And Van der Beek just hasn't been able to push out that side at that point or something. So it is both. I, I don't subscribe to the fact that Ole can't coach. I don't subscribe to the fact that Ole hasn't got tactics. You know, whenever you talk to anyone about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, they will say that he's a student of the game. He's the guy with the notebook in sessions, taking notes, taking notes, taking notes drilling away, drilling away, getting all the finer points there, all the nuance, nuance wins you football matches. And Ole is good at that. You know, this is what we hear the feedback from people that work with him, from players and both from staff as well. So he can do those things, but then you've got to see it in results. You've got to see it in performances. United's performances have still been not great at times. You know, there's been a lack of consistency in performance. But I think some of that is the players. And I think some of that is that just the players are not good enough at times. You know, when you look at Fred, Fred can do two or three or four things really well, but then there's equally things that he's not as good at. Matic is certainly good at doing two or three or four things quite well, but then he's got weaknesses. You know, Van der Beek is obviously a very good progressive player, but he's not, he, he hasn't got the final ball. You know, he's not that kind of player. You know, Bruno gets your goals, gets your assists, give the ball away over and over and over again. These players have to do better in their own individual stats. When Bruno gives the ball away, that's up to him to give the ball away less. That's not Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's fault. Yeah, on the Van der Beek point, I think I agree as well that he looks fantastic on the ball. I love the fact he's looking forward. He's always looking for vertical passes. He's, like you say, he's a progressive player. Very, very clever. But I do think there are there is the other side of the game. If he's going to play in that midfield, he's got to do the defensive side. He's got to learn that. And that's not on him as well because he's been here for, what, two, three months. So that will come in time, hopefully. But Greg's got a question here, Rob. To both of us, who should we buy in January? That's a good question. I mean, how long have you got? <laughs> no, I'm joking. But uh, I think that United need a defensive midfielder. Look, Reese's comments already there, which is pretty much the two players that I would buy. Reese, thank you. You've been reading my mind. I feel like we spoke about Upamakano a lot in the summer, actually. So, yeah, Upamakano would be a player I think United needs to show up. That defense still needs someone with a bit of pace. If Axel's not going to play as, as much, Rob, I don't really know how much game time Axel will get. I mean, He's looked good when he's played, but it's obvious that Lindelof and looking over at um, Maguire, that is his preferred partnership. So, and Zakari is another player that I do really like. I think we need a defensive midfielder. 
I think we can probably get away with no right winger for the moment and then a right back as well. But again, I like Lamptey, but you're not as high on Lamptey as I am. So yeah, those will probably be the three players I would be looking at. Yeah, again, it's all a little bit fancy football, isn't it? I like those two players. They would do well at Manchester United. We know how good of Makana is going to be. He's going to, you know, people think he's his generational talent, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's highly unlikely United get him in January. Just not going to happen. His uh, buy-on clause kicks in next summer, so he's going to go next summer. I think that's the way it is. The player will also want to do that simply because he will get his maximum wage by going for a cheaper fee next year when clubs can put together more money for him in his contract rather than giving it to his football club. So, again, some of these are dream scenarios and I think we're best to stay away from them because, again, when you're building a football club, you've got to believe in what you've got. There's players at Manchester United that need minutes that haven't really contributed yet. You know, I'm not saying let's play Phil Jones. That's not what I'm saying. You know, we know he's out. So that's not what we're saying. We're not saying go back deep into the squad and give players that are not worthy the chance. I'd rather play Rojo Rob than Jones. At go. least he can play on the left side. I'd rather, so I honestly I'd, would I'd rather play I'd ra- Hader, I'd rather play you, right? So, you know, so at the end of the day, so so ultimately these players, you know, they're in the squad. It doesn't mean they're gonna get minutes. But like we've needed to see a little bit of rotation now with Van der Beek coming into the team, with Cavani. We might see Palestri come into the team at some point in, in minor games. We've got Diallo coming to the football club in January. He's got this big upside of being a talent that's, uh, you know, got plenty of pace and trickery on the right-hand side. He might be able to stretch the play on the right-hand side if, you know, wan doesn't go in terms of being a right-sided fullback and doesn't go forward. We might now have this play in, in Diallo or even with Palestri who can get on the outside of teams. So there's plenty more combinations that we are yet to see from the current Manchester United squad. And again, people just need to calm. You know, Ethan Laird, player could come in. I talk about Mengi, I think, every week. You know, he's a player that I would love to get see get a chance, even though he's still young. There's There's opportunities to rotate people in and out. I would potentially like to see maybe Tu and Zabi play as a defensive midfielder. He can do that. I've seen other day actually. he's talented he can do that yeah. now you would be then maybe playing what would be effectively three center backs it might end up looking like that because he might just be on the back foot a little bit more in terms of where his natural position is but he can go and do those kind of more intricate role playing positions which defensive midfield is but then united would have to play a system that that matches that so it'd have to be a diamond yeah, I wouldn't want it to be a 4-2-3-1 because I think it would be messy. You know, he wouldn't he wouldn't match up with a partner very well there. It would just be too defensive. It wouldn't be, you know, it wouldn't have the right kind of pop. There are there's are there's lots of things that Ole can experiment with. And people say, oh, he changes the team every week. I think he's been doing that because he's looking for answers. And you only really saying Alaba. You've already had an exchange with Usman about Alaba, haven't you? Look, I lo- um, look, look, I love Alaba. Alaba, if Alaba comes on the market, everyone will want Alaba. There's no doubt that Alaba's agent is playing the game to get him a big contract to buy Munich. Yeah, that's the bottom line. So Alaba, if he came on the market, 20 clubs would want him, all the, the best clubs in the world. And if I'm Alaba, do I fancy Manchester United at the moment? Probably not. Big club, but might be able to pay me the most wages. But I would probably look for either a move to London, to one of the London clubs, because London's always a pool for play, uh, players coming from abroad. Or I might try and force my way to Barcelona where they're they're rebuilding. Real Madrid could do with an Alaba. So I would I might look at those clubs first before I look at Man United. I'd like to see United go after him. And there's no doubt United would be inquiring about him. But like I said, fancy football. I, I don't get often fancy football unless it's actual fancy football. 
I'm into yeah, FPL. I'm into FPL. Okay. I'm just not. I'm just not into kind of making it up for my football club. You see Rob's spreadsheet on that FPL. He's he's a serious, serious player. We've got. We'll take two more questions, guys. So there's H Mon's money. Do you guys think our four-two-three-one leaves a double pivot with huge wide spaces to cover defensively? Feels like we're playing four-two-four at times. Yeah, I think it's more playing there. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's more to do with the fact we saw those wide spaces against Istanbul because both players were indisciplined and they weren't playing, uh, you know, as they should have been in that role. But when you I play for them, I don't think indisciplined. I, I, I was that's another word I have a problem with in football because people go, oh, they're not disciplined. I just think they just don't know how to play it. It's just not natural. Just that's not what I do. If I'm that player and it's not in my skill set, it's not kind of how I play the game. And I can play as a number six, but not in a double pivot because double pivot is very specific and who I've got to cover and what runs I've got to channel. I don't even know it's about discipline. It's about learning. I think it took Fred a year to play the double pivot. Yeah. The rest of the time, he's never played in the double pivot before. You think he was in the, what was it, Ukrainian league or whatever before playing yeah. double pivots? No. So, Shakhtar, he played more as an attacking midfielder, more exactly. yeah. Ukraine, do, you, do you think he's there in Ukraine kind of playing, you know, or, or in Brazil, you know, before when he was a kid playing uh, in double pivots? No. You have to learn these things. It takes time and you have to have the patience to let the player learn it and make mistakes. So I look at Van der Beek. I don't really want to see Van der Beek in the double pivot. It doesn't suit his game at all. Will he play there again? I'm sure he will in certain matches. But he needs to learn to play those two or three different systems. So then if he excels in the position he prefers to excel in, no problem. You play him there, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Last question, guys. Reese has got another one. Based on our current squad and the systems we've used, is 4-2-3-1 the best to use long-term? Or is there any different systems? Well, we've spoken about this before, that if Oli could play 4-3-3, he would, wouldn't he? He'd like to play probably with two eights. He'd have more of a... I would say more of a dynamic defensive midfielder. He'd probably have quicker centre-backs as well. The full-backs would both go up. We saw that at Mulder, actually, um, where the full-backs both went up. He liked to play a high line, which he does, obviously, at the moment. And his number nine played on last man, which is why I think Cavani is a better fit than Martial, because I don't think Martial... He plays on the last man, but he likes to drift. He is a channel. better fit, but what do you do in a year, Haydar? Yeah, You're no, going to play Cavani. What, what do you do, do in a year? You, you've lost PSG. him. playing PSG. And we had to mm. pick one player to start. I'm just saying from that point of view, yeah. as between Martial and Cavani, I'd say play Cavani nine, play Martial on the left. That's just mm -hmm. me personally. Because I think, you know, I look a much more balanced side with Cavani in it. I think Cavani plays a number nine role more in the more in the traditional way and more in the way that I think gets more out of Bruno, gets more out of the wide players. That That's my opinion. Not to say Martial's a bad player. I said this, that Martial will go on a run probably in the next couple of months and he'll look like, he'll look like a world-class player again. And that will happen because he's got the talent. But I just don't think that he's he's consistent enough to be the number nine of Man United. But that's just my personal opinion. That I would go out. And How spend many money. goals you got to score this season? For do we can, let's 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 just do this right. So just a little makeshift thing. How many goals does Martial have to score this year to prove to you that he's a number nine? What does he have to do? In all comps. In all comps. Or just Premier League. Let's keep it simple. Premier yeah, League. Premier thirty-eight games. Yeah, How many goals 20, do you want? From Premier League, right. Yeah, I'd say in all competitions, twenty-five. I think that's fair. So you get twenty-five goals. in all twenty-five in all competitions. Say another. Say, should we say eight assists this year rather than six? Yeah. Yeah. So eight if he assists. does that in a year's time, are you going to be going? I need Haaland. No, but if he's good, Rob, he's done it for one season, right? Yeah, as number nine. I want to see more from him. He can score in big games. You've seen that. Yeah. The problem with Martial though is that he is hot and cold. That's the problem. 
I, I think the problem with Manchester United is that they're hot and cold. I don't yeah. think it's Martial. I, I, again, we're very good at picking out players about Pogba, Martial, players that we 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 kind of stick these things on in terms of the expectation of what we want. And when they give it to us in terms of their stats, like I'm trying to prove here with Martial, we're still going, oh, they're streaky. Oh, they're not good enough. Oh, I don't know. I just think sometimes you need to take a step back, football fans, and kind of say, okay, he might not be my preferred choice. He might not be what I want from a number nine in terms of my passion for football. But is he right for this manager and is he right for this team? That's why I say stick with Martial. Not because I look at Martial and think he's the most deadly striker on, the, on earth. And in fact, you think I think Martial is the right fit for this team. Today, today he is. Today he is because that's how you're building your club. Yeah. You can't just suddenly stop building your club to that because it's not working. You know, you have to give players time. And he's not started the season well. So there's every chance that Cavani starts games. No doubt about it. There's every chance, like we saw today, that if Martial is ill, that Greenwood steps into the breach. United have players to do this. They have, they're blessed with talent in those areas to come in and change stuff around. But for me, if you've said to Martial for a year, go and be my striker, and he's giving you striker numbers, and he's actually really fluid in a front three, uh, the question was, wasn't it, 4 2 three, one. Ole wants to play what we saw today. Yeah, he would love to play a 4-4-2 transitional diamond, if I can say it, that transitions into 4-3-3 with a false nine, and the false nine is Bruno. So if you play that, and that's why I don't call it a diamond when we talk about it privately, because it's not a diamond. It's effectively 4-3-3, but a diamond shape when the ball is past the forwards, because then you have your number 10 or your 9.5, jump backwards into a kind of diamond shape. But it's effectively a 4-3-3. The best teams in the world play 4-3-3. The most successful teams in the world play 4-3-3. And that's what Ole wants to play. He plays 4-2-3-1 because his players haven't been good enough. And when he's given them more chance to play the diamond or 4-3-3, Tottenham turn up in town, turn you over and spank you behind and you lose and you get hammered. And then you go reset. So that's why I think Ole does that, because that's what all managers do. It's not Ole saying I'm being pragmatic or negative. It's just Ole saying, well, this week I don't want to lose this, so I'm just going to be a little bit calmer. I thought he played 4-2-3-1 today, and I think he would have played that had Danny Ings been fit. With no Danny Ings on the pitch, he probably felt that there wasn't the pace there to get behind Lindelof and Maguire. And that was probably true because they didn't really hurt United from behind, did they? You know, they didn't work through the channel Southampton. They got two goals from set pieces. Ole said that before the game as well. Set pieces are a problem. They were a problem. They're still a problem every week. But he wants to play 4-3-3 or some variation of it. And that's the way the club will be built going forward. And Martial fits that perfectly. If you play 4-3-3, Martial can play that because he can come in the channel. He can go left. Yeah, and so go he's playing, he can go right. We're playing like that. I agree with you. That could work. And, and that's the place. philosophy of the football club. Yeah. Like People want, want, want to see attacking football. They've got to understand that when you train players and you work them through their paces day after day after day after day after day, you have to work to a philosophy. And Manchester United do that. It's just that sometimes on the football pitch, it doesn't always work. So you have to try different things, have to have default systems that protect you, that stop you losing games or hemorrhaging goals where maybe confidence is a little bit lower. Yeah, absolutely. And like like I said earlier, I think United probably would benefit from playing that sort of false 9-4-3-3 because I think that gets Bruno in the box when we've seen. When you get Bruno in the box, he scores and something Happened he doesn't today. do enough. Yeah. Saw that, that today. That goal was that, wasn't it? In the box, yeah. lovely slide, really? slid away finish, a bottom corner, didn't hit it hard, just put placement on it. That's exactly what you're kind of 
modern number 10 does. You know, they are 9.5s. They're strikers in everything, but they're kind of commonality. So, like, you look at Bruno, you wouldn't call him a number nine, would you? But once he's in that box, he becomes active like a number nine, and he can give you shots from distance. He can get into the, the six-yard box. I'd like to see him make more darting runs. In this system, I would like to see Van der Beek push himself a little bit forward and take a little bit more risk, but that would then mean that Fred has to sit a little bit more. It's about learning the system. It's about the guys learning each other's games and complementing them rather than being the opposite and becoming weaknesses because they're not quite in sync with each other on any given day. Yeah, absolutely. And the final comment, as Reese says here, the transition kills us off, but today we got it right. We need the mobility uh, of the centre-backs and the defensive midfielder long-term. I agree with that, Rob. We bang on about that every single week, don't mm -hmm. we? But, uh, guys, honestly, thank you very much for joining us on this show today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Rob, thank you, as always, for joining me. It was brilliant. Thank you. Cheers, Haydar. And, yeah, make sure, guys, you check out all of our shows we've done. This is the 10th one today, actually. God, we're rattling through them this season. There's some really great ones as well. We do one after each game, so make sure you check it out. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. Check us out on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well if uh, you prefer to listen to audio. And thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation? where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.